All right. Thanks, Thaddeus. Um, I'm Justin. I am a accountant by day, usually, an introverted one. Um, <laughs> so this is a little out of my comfort zone, but it's good. Um, those of you that know me pretty good are probably quite surprised to see me up here. I am too. <laughs> but God definitely does has, have a sense of humor. Um, actually, being in this spot has come across my mind a few times in the past. And it was actually a couple of weeks ago, um, Sunday, when I was like, okay, God, if you want me to, I'll do it. But I'm definitely not telling anyone about it. <laughs> well, it turns out it wasn't but a few hours later, <laughs> Tom suggested the idea, which kind of made me wonder, what else does God have for me, for us, that he's just waiting for us to say, okay. Topic for another day, right? All right. So we've been working our way through a series on the book, The Life You've Always Wanted by John Ortberg. The last chapter is called A Life of Endurance, The Experience of Suffering. Uh, we'll continue with this topic today. But before we get going too much, let's start with the definition of endure so we can understand a little bit exactly what we're looking at. According to Merriam-Webster, we have the following definitions. To continue in the same state, to remain firm under suffering or misfortune without yielding, to undergo especially without giving in, to regard with acceptance or tolerance. According to legend and a quick search on the interwebs, the year was 490 BC at the Battle of Marathon. Philippides, a Greek messenger, ran from Marathon to Athens, about 25 miles, with news of the Greek victory over the Persians. After delivering the news, he collapsed and died. It wasn't until 1896 that the Olympic Marathon was set at about this distance. At the 1908 Games in London, the race was extended to 26.2 miles at the request of the British royal family so the race could start at Windsor Castle. This distance became official in 1921. Marathons have become quite popular since this time. Feeling ambitious? You could partake in one, just a short drive. You could Sioux Falls, Brookings, or you could even go across the globe. In fact, there is even a world marathon challenge. Get this, seven marathons, seven continents, in seven days. <laughs> Can you believe people pay money to do that? <laughs> this year's event actually starts in October, so you might still have time. <laughs> All right, so why do I tell you this? All right, Orberg starts out the chapter discussing marathons. I personally haven't participated in one, but I know a few people who have, including Tom, a sister of mine has done a few, and my wife Andrea. So I thought, great, I'll ask Andrea. She talked about how everyone at the beginning was excited, high fives going around, running as a group. I asked about the hitting the wall part that John mentions. <laughs> the conversation took a turn. It was around mile 18. I prayed for the rapture, she recalled. <laughs> And I was annoyed with the pacer because I just wanted her to slow down for a bit. Even if we haven't run a marathon, I'm guessing most of us would say at some point, life definitely feels like a supergiant marathon. 
sprinkled with multiple marathons, half marathons, all the way down to maybe a 100-meter dash. James 1.2 says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, when you face trials of many kinds. Back to Merriam-Webster, trial, definition. The action or process of trying, to, of trying or putting to the proof, test. A tryout or experiment to test quality, value, or usefulness. A test of faith, patience, or stamina through subjection to suffering or temptation. <laughs> You're probably thinking as well as I am, whoa, 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 Justin, I don't like where this is going. You know what? Me neither. But we're going to make it together. All right. So many kinds, right? Trials of many kinds. Sounds like they could come in any shape, form, time, duration. Maybe you go to Sioux Falls and have a two to three minute stoplight instead of the 30 second ones we have here in town. <laughs> or you arrived early, got the best seat in the house, and a small child happens to sit behind you and kick your seat the whole time. If that happened to you, that very well could have been my youngest. My apologies. <laughs> or you locked your keys in your car, or you don't remember where you have left them, and then only to find they're in your hand the whole time. You put, thought you picked the fast lane, only to realize twice as many people went through the other checkout before it's your turn. <laughs> You're enduring another losing season of your favorite sports team. Your sibling tried to unlock your phone, and now you have to wait an hour before you can try again. <laughs> it's January, and the seat warmer in your vehicle quits. <laughs> this one's my least favorite. You wake up only to find that you didn't have one more Starbucks K-cup of coffee that you thought you had. <laughs> These all seem to be time and convenience related, and we'll come back to that in a little bit. Maybe these would fall into the 100-meter, 400-meter dash range. For others, maybe they'd feel like a marathon. Maybe a close friend lets you down, looming financial uncertainty. You've been waiting years for God to come through on a promise. Maybe you receive bad news from a doctor or just lost a loved one unexpectedly. Now we're hitting the grueling World Marathon Challenge range. I've come to realize that learning Bible stories when I was young, it was easy to say something like this. Well, of course they had faith. Look how it turned out. <laughs> I realize that's no longer the case. We have the benefit now of being able to see how their stories played out, right? They didn't at the time. They had to live out all of those in-between days too, just like we do. So let's do a quick flyover of uh, just a couple of people that have ver had various trials, endurance tests. All right, first up, Elijah. James 5.17 says, Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. He prayed fervently that it might not rain, and for three years and six months it did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again, and heavy rain, and, and heaven gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit. I've always liked how James points out he had a nature like ours. So Elijah's story, look, we, we have the famine. We see God provide for Elijah by sending ravens with food. 
Uh, 1 Kings 17, he goes and stays with the widow and Sidon and her son. Uh, they were going to eat the last bit of flour and oil, and that was it. But miraculously, it lasts, and they don't run out. Her son dies. Elijah cries out to the Lord, and, he, and the boy comes to life. Chapter 18, he then has the showdown with the prophets of Baal on Mount Carmel, where God sends down fire and consumes the sacrifice. They kill all the prophets of Baal. Next, he prays for rain, and it rains. Chapter 19 comes, and we're like, yeah, we expect some more big things. Huh. We only find that Jezebel sends a messenger to him, basically saying he'll be dead by tomorrow. Verse 3 of chapter 19 says, Then he was afraid and arose and ran for his life. Asked God to take his life and says he's the only, word, only one left. Paul may come to mind when we think about endurance in the Bible. Stoning, shipwreck, imprisonment, beaten. Horatio Spafford was a lawyer and partner in a large law firm in the late 1800s. Invested in real estate near Chicago a few months just before the Great Fire of Chicago, destroying most of his investment. Two years later, a family trip to Europe was in the work, but Spafford was delayed shortly before departure. His wife and four daughters went on ahead of him without him. Catastrophically, the ship sank after a collision with another ship. All four daughters were lost. His wife, Anna, sent the telegram to Horatio, saved alone. A bit later, Horatio traveled to be with his wife. All right, what about Abraham? God makes a promise to Abraham that he will make Abraham a great nation with numerous descendants. He didn't do this right away, though. Abraham had to walk through many years waiting and waiting, but he was even so obedient to the point, being willing to sacrifice his only son Isaac. We probably know the end of the story. Abraham is obedient and ends up with God fulfilling his promise. Ortberg points out that this journey was not made without times of doubt. From the book, he says, Abraham laughs in disbelief. He lies about his wife, placing her in jeopardy to save his skin. He sleeps with his wife's servant because he wants to father a child at any cost. He gets a lot wrong, but he gets one thing right. He just keeps going. All right, so a couple trials we just talked about. So what can we do to just keep going? Remember Andrea's marathon? and hitting the wall. I proceeded to ask what it was that kept her going when she hit that wall. She said that finishing the goal that she set for herself and knowing how many supporters she had in training and in race day. It was hilly that last four miles, but on the top of the last hill, she could see the finish. All that hard work paying off, along with the satisfaction in being proud of her accomplishment. My, my sister, like I mentioned, has run a few marathons. I asked her if they got easier the more you did them. <laughs> she said no. <laughs> but she did say that each one you're a little more mentally prepared and can draw strength from knowing you've done it before. She went on to say that the first one is so monumental for most people, we realize we can do much more than we ever thought. And suddenly, if you run a marathon, you begin to think, well, if I can do that, what else can I do? Start small. You don't just run a marathon on day one. You work up to it. You train with friends. You mix it up. 
mentally prepare. So even in routine life, work on patience at that stoplight, giving grace the next time your order isn't right. Something else that I find uh, beautiful is that it's already come up. Remember the times God's been faithful. This could be done through celebrations, calendar events, think Passover, Resurrection Sunday, Christmas, communion. How else can we remember them? Write them down, speak them out. I have occasionally written down things God has taught me or times he's provided when things look bleak. I found that when I look back at those, it encourages me. <laughs> but usually when God shows up, I typically think, man, this is so good, there's no way I could forget this. <laughs> Unfortunately, when it comes to God things, we have a memory lapse and quickly forget, don't we? Case in point, Israelites forgetting frequently what God did starting when they weren't even that far out of Egypt. Remember in Exodus 14 when they were camped by the sea and Pharaoh's coming at them? I'm picking up at verse 10 of Exodus chapter 14. And the people of Israel cried out to the Lord. They said, Moses, is it because there are no graves in Egypt that you have taken us away to die in the wilderness? What have you done to bring us out of Egypt? Is not this what we said to you in Egypt? Leave us alone that we may serve the Egyptians? For it would have better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. <laughs> we also see later in their story that again and again they seem to quickly forget what God does. <laughs> Maybe there's a, yeah, but this time it's different thinking. I often find myself having those thoughts. Let's check out Psalms 77, 11 through 12. I will remember the deeds of the Lord. Yes, I will remember your wonders of old. I will ponder all your work and meditate on your mighty deeds. Another verse in Psalms 9.1, David writes, I will give thanks to the Lord with my whole heart. I will recount all of your wonderful deeds. Psalms 103, verse 2, Bless the Lord, all my soul, and forget not all his benefits. Joshua chapter 4, we see the Israelites have just crossed the Jordan River and set up 12 stones as a marker, a reminder. Verses 21 and 22 of Joshua chapter 4, And he said to the people of Israel, When your children ask their fathers in times to come, what do these stones mean? Then, you're, then you shall let your children know, Israel passed over this Jordan on dry ground. Right, next thing, dare to be vulnerable so you don't have to go it alone. People often ask how we're doing. We really don't tell them, do we? <laughs> However, if we did, they'd probably stop asking. So on that other side, be trustworthy with what people share. Help bear each other's burdens. Our past trials help us in coming alongside someone who's experiencing a similar thing. And keep in mind that we're all different. What might come as easy and not even close to a trial for one might be a mountain for another. Next thing, keep a 40,000-foot view and the destination in mind. Also recognize there may be a destination you don't see working behind the scenes. This week I was driving with one of my daughters and she said with a sigh, I don't really want to run tomorrow. <laughs> Having been pondering a lot of this type of thing this week, I suggested, think about a state banner hanging with your name on it. 
she reconsidered. Knowing the topic today, she asked if she would be an illustration. <laughs> I asked for her permission. Elijah, picking back up where we left off. After he tells God he's the only one left, we find that God has been working in the background. How cool is that? And tells Elijah in 1 Kings 19.18, Yet I will leave 7,000 in Israel, all the knees that have not bowed to Baal, every mouth that has not kissed him. For Abraham, we see when he's ready to sacrifice Isaac, that God, or that there was coincidentally a ram caught in the nearby thicket. But it's not just about the destination. Be willing to learn on the journey. This is counter to a culture that screams for convenience and the quickest, least resistant path to point B. Or, if point B seems too much work, maybe settling for C or D are just fine. Ask God what you're trying to teach me through this journey. <laughs> I find myself, tell me so I can hurry up and learn and be done. <laughs> oh no, there's that pesky want it now attitude. Ask yourself questions. A friend of mine found the following to be beneficial in his experience when I asked him. Some of the questions he asked are, do I trust God enough to keep going? Is he big enough to see me through? Is the goal worth more than giving up? Check your perspective. The more I learn about this thing God put in here, it's amazing. Your subconscious is cranking almost all the time. What you put in affects you. Any unrecognized agreements, beliefs do too. This is another reason why questions are great. What's my starting point of view? I believe that God is always faithful, unfaithful, sometimes faithful, formula-based. Five loaves plus two fish does not equal feeding thousands. Or does it? Make a decision to trust God. Back to James 1, 2. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. What does consider mean? To think carefully, to come to judge or classify. Another question. Am I okay if I don't fully see God's promise fulfilled in my lifetime? Did Abraham ever see his countless descendants? A few. Hebrews 11, the faith chapter, verse 13, talks about it. This verse refers back to everyone that they've just talked about. These all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off, were assured of them, embraced them, and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. Earth is temporary. Eternity is forever. Another question. Where have I placed my hope? Sports teams, there's always next year. <laughs> How many times have I heard myself say this pertaining to the Minnesota sports teams that I like to follow? Hortberg writes, but the reason that Abraham did not run or hide and kept taking step after horrible step was his hope against hope that somehow this strange and distant God 
who seemed so remote and terrifying, would yet turn out to be the God who spoke to him so many years ago. There was the hope that somewhere in the story of bloodshed and death would emerge the God who makes impossible promises and keeps them and names them laughter. The man keeps hoping even when from human perspective the situation seems most hopeless. Sometimes it makes absolutely no sense and is so dark that all you can do is cling on with everything and maybe that's just a little bit of strength or hope that you have left to God. I had a season where I was dealing with a significant amount of stress and all I could do, seem to do, was say, God, I trust you in this moment. Thank you for getting me through this moment and doing this over and over throughout the days. Tom recently talked about how David was at a low point in 1 Samuel 30, verse 6. Now David was greatly distressed for the people spoke of stoning him because the soul of all the people was grieved, every man for his sons and daughters. But David strengthened himself in the Lord. Ortberg also writes, Abraham does not have perfect faith. He just hangs on. He places himself in God's hands. He just keeps running. So keep going one foot in front of the other. All right. What about the benefits and outcomes of hanging on? Ortberg points out that he was recently involved in a survey in which hundreds of people were asked to identify the factors that were most formative in their spiritual growth. The number one response overwhelmingly involved times of suffering and pain. <laughs> you remember Horatio Spafford that I mentioned at the beginning? Being on the ship to be with his wife after they lost their daughters? The story didn't end there. While passing by the site of his lost daughters on his trip, he wrote the hymn lyrics that many of us know so well. When peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot thou hast taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. I like history. Thomas Paine famously wrote, Yet we have this consolation with us, that the harder the conflict, the more glorious the triumph. What we obtain too cheap, we esteem too lightly. It is dearness only that gives everything its value. Heaven knows how to put a proper price on its goods. Think about what it would have been like after God promises he will make Abraham a great nation with countless descendants that Nine months later, Isaac is born. Maybe he wouldn't have been named Isaac, which means one who laughs. Isaac grows up, has a large family, and that's that. Kind of leaves a bit to be desired compared to what actually happened. I picture Abraham telling Isaac, Jacob, and Esau over and over the story of what God did. Charles Spurgeon, in one of his entries titled, Afterward, in his morning and evening devotion, writes, How happy are tried Christians afterwards. No calm more deep than that which succeeds a storm. It is peace, sweet, deep peace, which follows the horrible turmoil which once reigned in our tormented, guilty souls. But herein is work for patience, 
For the rest is not for today, or the triumph for the present, but afterward. Wait, O soul, and let patience have her work. Back to James 1, 2. We're going to keep going past verse 2. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature, complete, not lacking anything. <laughs> Quite frankly, considering what we've discussed, I sometimes think that I'm okay being immature, incomplete, and lacking some things. <laughs> but God has something better for us. Another version of James 1, 2 through 4 says, Consider it a sheer gift, friends, when tests and challenges come at you from all sides. You know that under pressure, your faith life is forced into the open and shows its true colors. So don't try to get out of anything prematurely. Let it do its work so you become mature and well-developed, not deficient in any way. It really does reveal what's in us, doesn't it? I think Tom has mentioned this multiple times, how what's inside comes out when we're having things challenge us. When this happens, we now know what to work on and can do something about it if we choose. And Peter emphasizes this in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 6 through 7. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So what's the benefit and outcome of trials, too? God can get the glory. Remember the blind man in John chapter 9 that Jesus healed? Verse 1 says, As he passed by, he saw a man blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, It was not this man, it was not that this man sinned, or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. I'm not sure how old this man was. It says he was a man, so probably long in years. But it appears he endured being blind for many years up to this God showing up point. But don't forget that God can be glorified in the little things too. Remember the Israelites camped beside the sea during their end? Exodus chapter 14, 13 continues, And Moses said to the people, Fear not, stand firm, and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall never see again. God parts the sea. Israelites walk through on dry ground. The sea drowns Pharaoh and his army. Joshua reminds them of this when they crossed the Jordan River we mentioned earlier. Joshua 4.23 For the Lord your God dried up the waters of the Jordan for you until you passed over, as the Lord your God did to the Red Sea, which he dried up for us until we passed over. Verse 24 So that all the peoples of the earth may know that the hand of the Lord is mighty, that you may fear the Lord your God forever. I find that testimonies and stories often increase my faith. So I'd like to uh, share with you a story that I prov hope uh, provides you some encouragement. This is Good News Glendon. 
And here is a true story of God's provision and my endurance. After years of being in debt and making payments, it looked like I was finally going to be debt-free. Then the city of Fairmont decided to discontinue the city steam that heated downtown where our store was located. The new heating system would cost about $30,000. If I chose electric heat, the city would cover half of the cost. Sales were declining and it seemed like it would take a miracle to pay for this. I silently prayed to God something like this. This was not my idea, so God, what are you going to do about it? I went to the bank and took out a loan for $15,000. I told the loan officer that I thought God would pay for this project either by increased sales or someone would give me the money. I proceeded to make the loan payments. Sometimes customers would leave the change and say, keep it or sometimes somebody would just uh, give me money and I put it in a cup and then apply it to the loan principal on the payment date. Sometimes I'd find coins lying on the ground and I'd say, thank you, Lord, and put them toward the payments. After some time passed of making payments, I was praying for someone at the store and the individual took out a checkbook and wrote a check, handed it to me, and it was for $5,000. It was for the heating project. I took it to the bank and said to the loan officer, do you remember when I said I thought God would take care of this? He said, yeah, yeah. I went to a gas station one day to fill my tank. There was a penny on the ground. I picked it up and noticed there was another penny and another for a total of seven pennies. That's God's perfect number and number of completion. It seemed like pennies from heaven, and I said, thank you, Lord. Along the way, I was careful not to say, I'll never get out of debt. Instead, I trusted the Lord would provide. God was teaching me the importance of our words, of staying positive and accepting his help, no matter how small it was, if it was a penny or more. It seemed, like the, seemed small at the moment. One day, there was a penny on the sidewalk near the store. As I picked it up, I had a thought that came into my mind. There's a whole lot more coming. A short time later, a friend of mine asked about the project and asked me how much was left on the loan. I told him that he said, I told him and he said, consider it paid. I knew he didn't have that kind of money. A short time later, I got a letter in the mail from someone I didn't know who lived over a thousand miles away. I opened it up and there was a check for $7,500 and I was able to pay off the loan. It was a check from someone who wanted to bless another party because God had blessed him. I said to the banker, do you remember I said I thought God would take care of it? And he said, yeah, yeah. Then I asked him how many times he'd seen that happen. And he said twice. And he pointed at me and he said both times to you. The penny on the sidewalk turned into 750 times, 750,000 times increase. That's God's economy. The banker saw what God can do. 
I learn more about Jehovah Jireh, the God who provides. What a cool God we have, right? Wrapping up, I don't know where you are in your race. Maybe it's high fives all around. Maybe the pain and fatigue is starting to set in. Maybe you've hit the wall. Maybe you're just at the top of the hill and see the finish line. I'd encourage you to keep collecting those pennies. Keep taking those steps. With God and His grace, we're going to make it. And it may not look anything like what we want or think, and that's okay. So Heavenly Father, dare I say thank you for the difficult things we face. Thank you that even when the loneliness and the doubt creeps in, you are there. Grant us the grace to keep moving forward in our trust in you so that we can become more like you and bring honor and glory to you in the little trials and the big ones. Thanks a lot for hanging out with me here. Um, just as in uh, closing guests, I would encourage you to check out the our hosts in the back. Get your free gift. Offering baskets are also out back in the table, uh, as long as with other information. And want to thank you for coming, and we'll see you next time.